Episode 86, The Rant. Speedy Claxton, former Christ the King standout, Hofstra basketball king, NBA champion, and current assistant coach for the Hofstra Pride men's basketball team. We pulled up at my alma mater, Hofstra University, to record with Coach Claxton to talk about his exploits on the basketball court. We discussed that, his journey that took him from the Corona Queens to the NCAA tournament, his travels in the NBA, and what led him back home. All that and more, my conversation with Speedy, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah! Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neat Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Neat Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit neattux.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's REFEREERANT, one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a special guest, Hofstra legend, Christ the King legend, current Hofstra assistant basketball men's coach, Craig Speedy Claxton. What's good, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Appreciate it, man. Um, So he doesn't know unbeknownst because I was in the PFC uh, watching the longest winning streak in the nation at the time when I was a freshman in college. But at that time, he was a senior in college uh, gearing up for the uh, NCAA tournament. And I think we lost to Oklahoma State. Desmond Mason. (laughs) I'll never forget that because um, I think that was also the last year of y'all at the uh, America East. And then no, I think they played one more year after I left the America East because they actually won it and went to the tournament again and played UCLA. Mm. But it was it was cool, man, to experience the NCAA from uh, from this level and playing Oklahoma State and then later on teaming up, actually teaming up with Desmond Mason uh, in the NBA. Then we watched that game together. It was pretty fun mm. with all of our teammates. Word. Well, nonetheless, welcome to the show. I want to go all the way back. What was your relationship with sports growing up? Where did you grow up? What did you play in middle school? And what did you play in high school? Well, I grew up in Corona, Queens. Uh, went to St. Gabriel's Elementary School. And then from there, went to Christ the King High School, which is a, a very rich in history of having great, really good basketball players. You know, the Dirk Phelps. Khalid Reeves, Lamar Oldham, Eric Barkley, Jamal Faulkner, uh, to some of the new players, uh, Ronald Atkins, who was with Chicago last year, uh, Jose Alvarado's at Georgia Tech right now. So it's a very rich tradition in basketball school. Did you end up just playing basketball? You didn't play any other sports when you were growing up? 
Yeah, I, I, I tried my hand at baseball, but I wasn't too good. So mm. I kind of nixed that earlier on. And then when I was in high school, everybody seen how fast I was. So the track coach asked me, actually wanted me to come out and run track, but he wanted me to train like I was in close country, and I wasn't with that. <laughs> I wouldn't be with that either, especially when you are used to having a ball, yeah. right? Um, where did you get the name Speedy? Uh, one of my former coaches, Artie Cox, gave it to me in the eighth grade. Uh, he was actually an opposing coach at the time, and our team used to play against each other um, in a lot of tournaments, and he didn't know my name, mm. and his kids didn't know my name, so they used to just to refer me as the Speedy guy. And I actually went to uh, bas- Christ King's basketball camp with a lot of his players, and then they just called me Speedy, and the whole camp started calling me Speedy, and it kind of just stuck. Mm. So I got my nickname uh, in eighth grade. It was Pino because I'm Filipino. I didn't like it because it sounds like a body part, but um, it's kind of weird in the beginning, right? Because you're like, "Yo, my name is Craig, man. Stop calling me that." And then eventually it becomes your name, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of liked it from the start. Oh, that's good. For I was you. like, that's, "That's dope." I was mm. like, "I got a nickname, and it's just it, it fits me, mm. and I just went with it." Does it fit you now? No. Now, now, is, now is where the problem lies. <laughs> Word. Um, I did want to go back to your eighth grade. Um, at the time, what was New York City basketball like? Uh, was there a lot of AU programs? Was there a lot of ways you could play? Or did you just kind of take your lumps at the playground? No, nah, you kind of just took your lumps at the playground. Like, I didn't start playing AU until I was in probably like my junior year of high school. Mm. I mean, but I was just go to the park with my friends. And we would just play pickup, and then that's that's kind of how we got it in. We played with our own age group. We played with guys that was older. And they gave you no mercy, right? Nah, I mean, that, that, that kind of gave us our toughness, right? I mean, we knew that we had to win in order to keep playing. Because once you lose that one game, there was so many people in the park that you'll never get back on the court. And that kind of what gave you that 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 hunger and passion to to win, mm. competitive nature. When was the first moment that you felt like you had an affinity or when somebody kind of took notice to you to say, like, you have a lot of talent and you can go really far depending on how hard you work? Uh, probably that in my eighth grade year going into high school. Um, I, I went to Crazy Kings basketball camp in August, and that's kind of like where I wanted to go, but I didn't get uh, accepted and when I applied. But so I was kind of ready to go to Hempstead High School, which was across the street from where I, where I lived in Hempstead in Long Island. But then I went to Crazy Kings basketball camp, and then that's when Bob Oliva took notice of me because I killed in the basketball camp, and a lot of their incoming freshmen was at the at the camp, and I was killing everybody. And I was like, "Yo, where, where are you going to school?" And then I told him I was going to. I was really up in the air, but I was looked like I was going to go to Hempstead. And I was like. I said, like, I wanted to come here. And it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And then somehow they fixed it, and then I was able to go to Christ the King. Mm. Did you have any other choices besides CK and Hempstead High School? Or that was nah, pretty much it? That was pretty much it. Mm. It was going to be Christ the King. Like I, applied, I remember I applied for Christ the King. I applied for Malloy because I was a big Kenny Anderson fan. And my other school, I, I don't remember my last school, but I know oh, McClancy. McClancy, because I grew up in Corona, and McClancy was like 10 minutes away from where I grew up. Right. Okay, so in ninth grade, um, just set the scene about the Catholic League. I officiate in the Catholic League, and, you know, one thing in terms of officials, I know that it has taught me a lot about professionalism. It has taught me a lot about, you know, just 
organization because it's it's just a different ball game in comparison, especially like in Long Island, the talent isn't as good, and uh, PSCL it it's not the same as the Catholic League. So just talk about your first year playing in Christ the King. Well, that's kind of where it kind of opened my eyes into the basketball world. I seen how real it was and how serious people took it, and then. Once I got there, I started playing against better competition than mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. And I was like, wow. This in, the neighborhood, I was, in my neighborhood, I was really good. I was probably the best player in my neighborhood. But then once I got to Christ King and there was other good players, I was like, whoa, like, this is different. Mm. Um, like people that were as good as you, and yeah. you were kind of surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, so that, that showed me and told me I had to really start working on my game if I wanted to be serious with this. And at that time, did you have dreams of going to the NBA? Nah, I wasn't even thinking. I mean, obviously it was a dream, right. but I didn't know how much of a reality it was mm. because it wasn't like I was a, a highly touted eighth grader or anything like that. I was I, I was good in my neighborhood, but then once I got to Christ King, I was like, okay, well, I'm just okay now. Um, so I just had, knew I had to work on my game. But the, the NBA was a dream, but I, I, I really didn't know if I was going to get there or not. So when was the moment you started really excelling at Christ the King? Uh, probably, I would say probably my sophomore year. Um, I was I was on the JV. Uh, yes, I did play JV. I didn't, go, I didn't go to varsity as a sophomore. I played JV basketball, and I was kind of the man on the team. And then that's when I was like, this, All right, I'm pretty good at this because we went to the city championship. We lost. But we got there, and it was pretty much my team. Mm. So then let's talk about your varsity team when you were starting to, uh, I guess, do those varsity games in the AA uh, in Brooklyn and Queens. Once I got to varsity, it was kind of weird because I was the starting point guard on JV, um, but then they had a highly touted kid that was came in the year after me, Eric Barkley. I've heard of him before. Yeah, he actually was a pro. He actually played in NBA too. He went. He he got drafted in the first round with me. Uh, graduated, went to St. John's, but he was highly touted, and he st- he played varsity as a sophomore. So mm-hmm. we we came to varsity at the same time. Um, so they had a kind of a dilemma of like who to start. And he already had his experience with varsity, and and you didn't have that on the. Above. Well, yeah, no, we we both came to varsity at the same time. Okay, okay. Um, and they had already had. The two guard at that time was Chris Kraft, who they loved, who was a very good shooter. Um, he played varsity the year before, so he already had kind of like the two spot locked up. So it was kind of like me and Eric battling for that for the point guard position. So what Mr. Oliva did was I would start some games, and then Eric would start some games, and we had a we had an okay, we had a decent team. So we we kind of um, flip flop starting roles, and then Chris Kraft got hurt probably like 11 games into the season. So then he started to start both of us, and that's when the team took off. Mm-hmm. And then once Chris came back, it was, it was almost like, well, we there's no way we could take these two kids out the starting lineup. With and y'all team. felt that in real time, yeah, right? and the team, with the team excelling and gelling the way we are, and then the rest was history. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just me and Eric and Lamar's team. And, and talk about that, just the, the three of you, you, Eric, and Lamar, just NBA talent at the time before... You guys were in the NBA and playing playing double A. Yeah, I mean, at the time we didn't know how good we really was at, for a high school team. Um, 
I mean, now they talk, they compare us with Khalid, Khalid and Dirk Phelps team. Uh, those are probably two top teams that came out of Crazy King. Um, but at the time, we didn't know how good we were. We Everybody knew how good Lamar was. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knew he was probably destined to be in the NBA. And Eric had a good chance of being in the NBA. And everybody just knew I was a good player. But nobody could tell you that all three of us are going to be first-round picks right. on the same high school team. Like that's, that's pretty much unheard of, mm-hmm. that you have three first-round NBA draft picks on a high school team. Did you guys end up winning the chip that year, senior we, year? My senior year, we did not win the championship. We won the, we lost um, in the city championship. We got upset about Rice High School, who had a, who had, who had a very good team in itself that had a high number of D1 um, players on the team. Uh, they didn't have any NBA players, but they definitely had high major D1 players. Uh, we won it my junior. We won the city championship my junior year, and we lost in the states to Stephon Marbury's Lincoln team in mm. the state championship. Were you surprised how good they were? Who? Did you? Well, let's go back. Lincoln was in the PSAL. Yeah. At the time, were you guys playing a lot of crossover PSAL games, or nah, were you we just kept we it with them? No, nah, we didn't play PS. We didn't play the PSAL at all mm. back then. Uh, we actually scrimmaged Lincoln um, early on that year. Not even early on, probably like three weeks before we actually played wow. in the states. Just to, just the scrimmage, we just Mr. Old set up the scrimmage. And, um, at the time, they had Stephon Moore, who was all every all everything, and we kind of handled them handled them pretty easy, handled them pretty easy in the scrimmage. Um, and then I remember going up to just play them in the states, and then Steph got the ball. The first possession, and once the basket hard scored, went got an and one, and then he turned to to me and Eric and was like, "This ain't no scrimmage." <laughs> I was like, "Wow, oh, man!" I said, ah, "We might be in a little trouble this game." <laughs> That's funny. And they, did they end up winning the state championship? Yeah, they, they, that was the state. Yeah, that was the state championship game. So they they ended up beating us. Wow. Um, talk about. You know, when it started getting crazy with the recruitment process for you, and how do you balance that out with playing as well as being a student athlete? Well, it didn't start getting crazy for me until after I committed. <laughs> uh, Mr. Oliva at the time had a rule that he would let his players commit early, but he wouldn't let them sign early. He, they had to wait to the late signing period to actually sign the letter of intent. So that so, that basically means that even though you're committed, you still kind of have an out where you yeah. can still kind of decommit and then... And sign with somebody else. So I committed to Hoff, to Coach Wright, Jay Wright, who's now the head coach of Villanova, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. It's even crazy to see him doing right. uh, some of the things he's doing there. He, I committed to him and his staff probably late October, right before the high school season started. I then went on to have like a, a crazy good high school year, and then at the by in the springtime, like St. John's wanted me to come, Seton Hall wanted me to come, Georgia Tech wanted me to come. But I don't know, I was just, I'm just a, I was just a loyal guy. I'm still a loyal guy, and I knew I gave Jay Wright and Hobson my word, and I just kind of just followed it. So you didn't feel conflicted at the time. You weren't no, like not at all. I mean, even though I was getting a lot of peer pressure from from my friends Lamar and Eric and. Iron on the cast. I was like, Yo, why are you going to Hofstra? Like, you're way better than that. I was like, mm. oh, this just feels right. Mm. And do you think it's because of uh, your relationship with Jay at the time, and, oh, as well as it 100%. being at, at Hempstead? 100%. I mean, I grew up 10 minutes from here, so I was familiar with the school. 
loved the coaching staff throughout the recruitment process. They they seemed like they wanted me the most. Mm. So that's where I wanted to go. So talk about that transition from now you left high school to now you're at Hofstra University and you're a freshman on the basketball team. And sometimes, you know, I always say this to me. I, I coach at Kellenberg. Uh, I coach the volleyball team, and mm-hmm. I've been coaching there for 20 years. Um, sometimes when, when kids get um, high D1 looks, sometimes they get lost in the shuffle, and sometimes they get homesick, yeah. right? Sometimes they don't make the right decision for themselves. I think you were very comfortable in what you were doing, and, and just like you said, even though you got a scholarship all the way to Georgia Tech, you were still comfortable to being home. So Yeah, I was a, I was a mama's boy, so I wasn't going too far away from, from home. Mm. So how was your first year at Hofstra University? It was fun. Uh, we didn't win much. Uh, you know, coming into to Hofstra, I was, for the first time I was the one that was highly heralded mm. coming into somewhere. You find that weird that it flipped that way? I did. Uh, you know, everybody was looking at me like, okay, you're the one to take us to the to the promised land. You're the one who's going to change the program around. And uh, I was just trying to come in and fit in. And Coach was like, nah, like, this is, you need to to be the guy. Like, mm. You're going to be the one to take us there. But it was such a big transition from playing high school basketball to college that it just wasn't going to happen overnight. And my first year, I, mean, I wouldn't say I struggled because I, I still ended up averaging 15 points, and that's, pretty, that's really good for a freshman. But even though I had individual success, it didn't bring team success. Like, the team struggled. Like, we, we still finished 12 and 14. And even though we made a jump in the um, in the standards in the conference, we went, we took, I took Hofstra from, like, they finished last place the year before I got there, and then we finished in fourth the year my freshman year, which was which was a pretty good jump. Um, but and then let the league then like take notice, like oh my god, Hofstra is gonna be doing something now. Like so, it's, we we're still we still struggled my freshman year. Mm. And I can see where they're coming from in comparison to where you're coming from because you're coming from a lot of success at CK. Yeah. And then you're coming back like I'm not used to losing like this. Yeah. But then Hofstra is so used to losing that any type of upward mobility was going to be a. Well, you you could tell that you could tell that it was it was going to be a change because even the game that we was even the games that we was losing we wasn't getting blown out. Mm. It was like nail biters, and then we was just losing at the end, and you know. I remember we played against Fordham at the time, and we should have beat Fordham. Um, we lost a, a close game at that spot, and like Coach Wright came in the locker room, and we, that that might have been like one of our that might have been like a tough stretch. Like we might have had like five tough, tough, tough losses in a row at that point. And you know, like the whole locker room was down, we was crying. Like Coach Wright came in, he was crying because we knew how much work we put in um, and how hard we actually played and prepared, and we we. We had that game, and it was ours, and then we just all sat in there, like, crying, like, listen, we're going to we're gonna be all right, man. Mm. We're going to be all right. And you just, you just knew it. You just felt in your heart that this program was going to be all right. Did you find that um, it was a rough transition in terms of the talent? Was the talent a lot higher in the D1 level versus the AA in the Catholic League? Was it, like, night and day? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was another thing I had to overcome was the, the strength and the speed, like, I was playing against guys that was just as quick as me at the time and actually stronger. That must have bugged you out. Yeah, I was like, this, oh, my God. Like, I thought I was going to a little house and I was going to be able to dominate right off, right from day one, but then it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. Like, even when I came to play pickup, 
I, didn't, I couldn't dominate the guys that they had on their team, and they was considered not to be good. I was like, damn, this is, gonna, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'm not that good. Mm. But then once I got used to the physicality and speed, I was fine. Mm. Like, that's my sophomore year, I took off, and I was the man on the team. I was player of the year in the conference, and I was, I was cool after that. So they talk about the rest of your, your junior and senior year, and then up to the point where, you know, when I saw you in the stands, and, and I remember just my freshman year that – I mean, your picture was all over the place, man. <laughs> I don't even know if Roy Rogers existed still, but, man, it was literally everywhere. Uh, you know, just come see it. And I, I'll never forget my first experience at the PFC. And I was like, man, they only got bleachers here? That sucks. Yeah. But then the atmosphere yeah. is something that you can't really replicate at the D1 level. Yeah, by my, by my, by midway through my senior year, we, we had this place rolling. I mean, Hustle was a gold mine. The community really supported us. The, the school supported us. I mean, they would scalp and take us out front. I mean, it was really, Hofstra was really a, a, an event out to take your, to your kids, take your kids to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fun coming, it was, it was fun playing in the POC, man. You miss it? I do. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 miss play, I miss playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a competitive guy, and it's, it's just different being on the sidelines and not being able to have a, a major I know impact I know on the mean. game. Um, so, going back to your senior year, when you were in the midst of that winning streak and, and also having the uh, the America East birth and, and finally going into the uh, NCAA tournament, when when did that NBA buzz start happening? And you started was, thinking that that was a reality? Yeah, it was it was like midway through my senior year. Um, you would see like this, all the scouts coming to practice, all the scouts be on the sideline. Like, they actually had to to build a new section in the arena courtside for NBA scouts mm. to come watch me. I was like, this, damn, this is crazy. Like, I'm actually having NBA scouts watching me play during the games and watching my every move. And I was like, yo, this is, this is like, unreal. <laughs> like, I, I, I imagined it. I, I dreamt it, but I never knew how much of a reality it would really be. Do you think you felt that way because you were playing at more of a mid-major school and you weren't really going to the top conferences where you weren't pitted with all of those players at the yeah, same time? Yeah, because I wasn't playing against the top-notch uh, talent. Uh, so I really, they really couldn't really, really judge me mm. based on the, the people I was playing against. They, they considered it lesser talent. So I should dominate them. Mm. Okay, so let's go. Now we graduate, and now we're getting ready for the NBA draft. Talk about your experience uh, getting drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. Unreal feeling, man. I wasn't fortunate enough to go to the draft, but I think what I did was not better, but it was it was definitely gratifying. I had a, a party at a local establishment across the street called Bogus. That was a big... Shout out to Bogos. That was, that was, <laughs> that was my spot when we were in Prince, school. My guy, uh, the owner, uh, they let us rent. They let us have the party over there. So all my family, all my friends was in the building. We had the the whole place, and it was unreal feeling. So I got to experience that with everybody that I was close with. Mm. And then I do remember, now let me go back and just to kind of intertwine this with my own story was, I want to say it was your senior year. 
Um, I was a crazy Nick fan. And you remember when we were growing up, they were in the finals all oh, the yeah. time and they would always lose. Yeah. And, you know, when you're like a 12-year-old, you, you, you really get emotional with that. Oh, yeah. and, and you get so disappointed yeah, with I that. I was a Nick fan, too. Trust so me, you, I know. You know, understand. So um, I said to myself, and I'll never forget this, I think they lost to the Raptors. And yeah. I want to say the, the second round, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm done with this, man. <laughs> I'm going to pick whatever team Speedy, Speedy gets on. <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> so I picked the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> and I remember, you guys started 10-0 that yeah, year. we did. And we I, did. Like one of my sh- it was a surprise. We didn't even know. One of my shining moments was like, I remember it was like, it was early on. I think y'all went to Sacramento. <laughs> Hey, I was giving them the business. And, yeah. and you could just see Aaron McKee just stepping up. Theo Ratliff stepping up. Season, man. Talk about your rookie season. year. It was amazing because, I mean, it was unfortunate that I tore my ACL, so I didn't really get to, to, to play, but I got to beat it and witness it. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing ride. Like I was like, this this is crazy. Like Just last year, I was watching the NBA Finals. At the PFC. And you said the and now I'm actually courtside watching this. Watching this goes on. Like I'm watching Kobe. I'm watching Shaq. I'm watching AI. People that I looked up to. I'm like, this is unreal. Mm. Like this is this is crazy. So you was getting a little fan with it too. Yeah, I was, I, I was definitely. <laughs> I, was, I was more of a fan than a player because I still didn't play not one single game, NBA game. Mm. So I was definitely still a fan of all those all these guys. Well, what did you learn um, being a pro, and and what was your experience with like you know being with such Professionals like Dikembe Mutombo, Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, um, and obviously Allen Iverson. Yeah, work ethic. Uh, I got to witness how much work they actually put in to their craft. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be a good pro, I got to follow these guys' footsteps. Mm. And talk about your uh, experience at the NBA Finals. And I remember game one so vividly. I had like a like a 27-inch Sony TV <laughs> And I just remember, first of all, if you watch that game now, you can't believe how good Kobe Bryant was. Because yeah. I was so busy hating on them <laughs> that I couldn't appreciate how good they were. Yeah. And then when you see Shaq, man, it, it's, it's crazy. It looks like he has a marble it's in his crazy. hand. He's just it's doing wild, whatever he man. wanted to do. But, yo, Iverson went off yeah. on that game. That's, I think he dropped 48. He and did. That's when I was like, you know what? AI is, like, for real. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to do that at his stature, at the highest level against the best players in the world was unreal. I mean, here we are going against, going up against Kobe and Shaq, two of the greatest players no of all fear. time. And he handled them, single-handedly beat them game one. I was like, this, this is crazy. We might win the championship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my first year. Like, this is unreal. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, they went on and beat us the next four games he's very easily. However, um, game two was close. Game two was close. Game two was really close. close. And I remember I remember AI saying, like, yo, right, that's all right. We going back. We going home. We going yeah. to the crib, though. And I just remember the, the whole city, man. The city was insane. I was like, yo, this is freaking nuts that I'm a part of this. Mm. Like, everywhere you drove, you just seen Sixers flags off of everybody's cars. I'm like, everybody's pulling for the Sixers. I'm like, this is nuts, man. This is crazy. What's your next journey down the road now that reality sets in, you don't win the finals, and, and now you have a probably the most severe injury that you've ever had thus far in your career. And, you know, now that you see what it's like to be the pros, it was kind of, you know, disappointing because I'm pretty sure you had some doubts in your head of saying, am I going to get back to the level? Yeah, am I going to get back to the speed? Yeah, I mean, that was a tough injury to overcome. Like, that was my first major injury that I had in my career, and I didn't know what to expect. I mean, it took me a long time to just be able to walk 
without crutches and all that type of stuff. And I remember uh, at the four-month mark, we started to, like, jog. Mm-hmm. And it felt so weird to run. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I, I don't remember. How, I lost feeling of how to run. But then I had a great physical trainer, Jim McNulty. He's, he's the best. I think he still works with the Sixers. Um, he, he did a really good job with me, getting me ready. And then once the season was over, I was probably the only one that was happy the season was over because I wasn't playing. So I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to actually really start working out. And I was looking forward to playing in the summer league. Okay, so then after that, you subsequently got traded to the to the San Antonio Spurs, and yeah. talk about that experience of playing with that future a, Hall of Famers. That was another great experience that I had in the NBA. Uh, at the time, you know, I was a little not mad, but uh, saddened because I felt like the Sixers was your home at the time. Was my home? Like I, mm-hmm. I loved being there. I loved the organization, and you were close to home yeah, too. I was, yeah, it was, I was two hours down the down the road, so my family and friends was always in Philly to come see me. Uh, if I needed to come to New York, I was able to come to New York. And then I got traded to San Antonio. This is the first. Like, I, I went to school close to home, too. So this is the first time that I was really, really going to be far away from home. And first time you had real Mexican food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know what to expect when I went to San Antonio. But, I mean, you talking about a great year. That was unreal, too. Mm. I mean, to not only go to the championship, but to win the championship was a dream come true. And then play alongside some of the greats and Tim Duncan, David Robinson, a young Tony Parker, a young Manny Ginobili, uh, made a great friend in Steve Jackson, Malik Rose. I mean, Steve Kerr, Danny Ferry, Steve Smith, Ke- uh, Kevin Willis. I mean, we had a, 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 a wonderful team, great mm-hmm. human beings, great makeup. Right, and how about playing a pivotal role in the NBA Finals as well? You and Captain Jack. Captain yeah, Jack was I, going on. It was un- I'm telling you, it was unreal. Like, I... I watched the finals to this day and like, oh my god, I can't believe I was actually a part of that and played in the NBA finals, and not just played, but was a, a key piece in winning the championship. Like this is it's unreal, mm-hmm. for real. That's really cool to see that you're still like <laughs> in awe of what you've done. When, I'm telling you, I I I was just telling Coach Mahal like the other day. I'm like, this it's I still can't believe I actually played in the NBA. Like mm-hmm. I was an NBA player. Like it's crazy. Just in between all of those times, when when did you feel comfortable with, like, you know what, I'm Speedy Claxon, I don't care if I got an ACL? Because there is a mental separation when you have those type of injuries where you feel like you can't be the way you used to be. Yeah. Do you think that you were able to separate that pretty quickly? I did. Once uh, I started playing in summer league and I got my jump, my athletic ability back, I was like, right, I'm cool now. Okay. And what was your experience like playing for the Warriors? It was cool. I liked the Bay Area. Uh, the fans was unbelievable. And they were like that before that. And, and yeah. I think a lot of people don't remember. Uh, they have some of the best fans in the NBA. That's why I'm happy that they have a winning team now. Like, they deserve it. Uh, they went through a lot of grief <laughs> in the past. Uh, so they definitely deserve having a good team. I mean, they're, they're very low. They always showed up. Like Even though we would lose them, we would still get 20,000-plus people in the stands uh, so that's that's great for that city you think it's going to be a while before they win a championship again yeah 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 the, and the dynasty is over once once Kevin left and some of the other teams geared up I mean you got the Clippers that are really good the Lakers are really good Houston is tough I mean Denver 
It was really good. A lot of people don't talk about Denver. Utah, I mean, with, with our boy Justin Foreman. Yeah, Utah's good. I mean, they're still a couple. I think Utah's still a couple of years away, but Utah, my like, Portland's good. I yeah. mean, the, the West is loaded, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, we'll round out with your with your career of you were being you were a college scout, right, for the Warriors for yeah, a little bit. Once I, once I finished playing, I was a college scout for the Warriors for three years. Now, did that experience inform you to end up being a, a coach at some point? Yeah, because um, during the and during the later stages of my career, uh, I didn't play as much, and I guess Don Nelson was the actually Don Nelson was the first one to actually really put it in my head. What did he uh, say to you? He was like, "Yo, you, you ever thought about coaching?" I was like, "Not really." He said, "Yo, you, you really would be good because I guess he's seen how I was on the court with my team, you know, always pointing them and leading them, and he actually wanted me to go on his staff, but I just didn't want to stay out there." So I was like, that's not. Nah. So they actually uh, asked me to be in the front office. Mm. So that's what made me be a scout. Okay. So what was your first experience like uh, being a coach, and where was it at? Here. Uh, once I start, once I stopped scouting, uh, it actually it was Coach, Coach Mahalik got the job here, and I knew it would be a good opportunity for me to get into the college game. So I set up a meeting with him and the athletic director, Jeff Hathaway, at the time, and told me I wanted to get involved in the program and they made a, um, a spot for me. They mm. gave me a special assistant uh, spot and then I was lucky enough that one of the Coach Mahalik's uh, assistants at the time late in September got the Villanova assistant job so then this spot opened up and it just slipped me right through. So what was your first experience being the coach? Was it weird? Was it what you thought it would be? It was weird. It's different. Um explaining how to do something instead of just doing it yourself mm. was different. But I know what it is now, and it's cool. Mm. So I do want to go back. Um, just from the whole time that you went to Christ the King and then Hofstra to the NBA, what was your relation, relationship like with officials, you know, from the time that you were in high school to the college to the pros? I always had a good relationship with the officials. Um, as long as you give respect, you get respect. Um and I found once I got to the NBA, it's all about how you approach an official. Um, you can't cry and complain about every call because then they're not going to give you calls. Mm. But if you're truthful with them, and you know, sometimes when they call a foul, you shake your head like, yeah, I got him. And then the time when you really don't foul them, they call a foul, and you go something like this, no, no, I did not foul him, no. Then they respect that more. Yeah. <laughs> And I always find it weird watching the NBA because it's like that's literally the only time that you're reffing aside from maybe like a pro-am uh, circuit that you're, yeah. you're you're reffing somebody that's making more money than you. You're <laughs> yes. used to reffing for money <laughs> and everyone's amateurs. But then when like, you know, Draymond Green is yelling at me yeah. and he's making, I don't know, eight hundred thousand dollars this one game. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> he's not going to listen to me. Yeah, The NBA is tough, man, because those guys make so much money. You're, kind of, you're not at their mercy, but it's kind of like, well, how can I tell him something? He's making freaking $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's, it's kind of just become, yelling at the refs uh, is kind of just become a way of life mm-hmm. in the NBA. Mm-hmm. The refs know it. The fans know it. It's, it's kind of part of the entertainment now. Right. Discuss your mentors. Um, if you have any, list them. And um, who are your most memorable and favorite uh, teammates that you've played alongside, and, and how do you think it shaped the way 
um, you coach kids well, that are I, after I, you? I had a couple of mentors. Um, as far as playing, like E. Snow, Eric Snow was one of my biggest mentors when I first got in the league. He took me under his wing. Him and Aaron McKay both took me under their wing, showed me the way. Um, I used to hang out a lot with them, go to dinner. Because like I said, I tore my ACL, my ACL my, fresh, my rookie year, so I really couldn't get around um, easily. So they would come pick me up from my apartment, take me out to eat, and I was, I was very appreciative of them. And then kind of everywhere I went, somebody kind of took me under, my, under their wing. When I got to San Antonio, I remember Kevin Willis, who was in the league for... Yeah, when we were like eight years old. 17 years <laughs> at that point. He took me under his, his wing and kind of guided me. Because I remember one time uh, I had got hurt early in the year. So I missed like four months of the season. And then when at that point I was playing a lot, though, before I got hurt. Me and Tony was kind of splitting the minutes um, evenly. And then once I got hurt, that's when Tony Parker became Tony Parker. So when I came back, you know, I, I'm going to play. I was doing my thing earlier on, so I want to play. So I wasn't playing that much. I remember I got DMP one game, and then the, sec- the next game, I went in Coast Pop. Didn't put me in until, like, the fourth quarter, like, garbage time. So I went out there, and I, I was just, like, going through the motions. And then after the game, Kevin, Kevin pulled me to the side. He's like, yo, Speedo, you can't play like that. He's mm-hmm. like, yo, whenever you're on the court, you're auditioning yourself. He said, if not for this team, for somebody else. I said, you're in your contract year. Like, you can't play like that. When you, no matter what kind of minutes you get, you gotta go out there and perform, and that 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 helped me a lot. Because then, right after he spoke to me, it's it was just coincidence that Pop called me into the office and he told me he said those same things. He's like, I know you're upset. He said you have a right to be upset, but you missed a lot of time. He said so now you gotta work hard harder to get back out on the court and get back into the rotation. So he always has a method to his madness. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So then. He still pop. He liked to play mind game. So the next game, he didn't play me at all. I thought that's cool. I'm all right. I'm cool. And then the following game, he played me some. And then the playoffs started. And then he just started playing me. He gave me like the backup spot. Whereas Steve Kerr was playing the backup minutes before that. So, I mean, it, I went on to have a very good playoffs. And then I started playing more and more as we got deeper into the playoffs. And everybody seeing what happened in the finals. Right. And you never had a conversation with him then. You were just taking yeah. the minutes and, and calling it a day. Ever since he had that one conversation with me, he didn't have to say another word to me about it. Mm. And talking about your favorite players that you've coached thus far uh, at your experience at House University. Uh, I mean, of course, I got to say my man, Justin Wright Foreman. He was actually my first ever recruit. Uh, not too many people could say uh, the first person they ever recruited was an NBA player. Uh, so him and I have a very, very tight relationship. Uh, I'm very happy for him and his family that he's able to experience the NBA life, and hopefully he sticks it. He works. He keeps working hard, and he he makes a good career out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person is Dejour Bowie, whereas uh, it wasn't that many expectations for him, um, but he, to his credit, he worked hard, worked hard, and he. He made third team all conference this past year, which was a, a huge sign, a huge, huge thing for him. How do you think ball has changed from when you played in high school, college, and the pros to, you know, just the way it is now? I mean, like high school kids, they look like they're ready for college now. They look yeah, like they're ready for the man, pros now. Athletically, these guys are on another level in the way that they can shoot the ball. Um, 
is is way better than we can back in the day. I don't like to compare the generations. So I, I just think it's hard. I think this generation is just, I just they're just better. They're just better players. I, I hate to say it, but they are. Mm. And most people who's who's my age wouldn't give them wouldn't give these guys that much credit, but they are. They're faster. They're stronger. They their range on their shot is much better. Like nobody was shooting the ball like Steph Curry like that. No, no. Like, I don't think anyone ever will though. Like I, I just saying like Clay Thompson. You got snipers out there. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Durant six ten. Back in the days, if you were six ten, your your ball was on the post all day. Your, your ball was on the post, not out there on the three point line and beyond. And he's making moves like he's a god. Like you just you just didn't see that back in the days. Mm. Well, let's let's even talk about the footwork. You know, me and you, we're probably similar build and height. Um, imagine knowing all of those moves that they do now in your game. You yeah, think that you probably would have extended your career? Would have been a little oh, different? Oh, definitely. These guys, they work. They they work on their craft much more than we did mm-hmm. back in the days. We we will play more, but these guys actually work on that game. You know what I'm saying everybody's having a trainer or. They're in the gym working out. We didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't really work out back in the days. We just played. Well, working out was just playing. Yeah. But I also think that also lends itself to, like, social media. Now you can really make clips and you can, like, really break down the footwork. Yeah. Like, if you had if you had YouTube back in our day and we were able to watch Larry Bird every time yeah. instead of maybe yeah. randomly having an NBA or CBS game on. Absolutely. They, with the technology, they're able to study people more mm. nowadays. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just the way of life, man. Um, after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are in this moment in time as a professional basketball player and as well as a, a current coach? Hard work and dedication. Uh, a belief in yourself. That's what I would say. I mean, I worked hard to get to where I'm at. Mm. Uh, no one gave me anything. I worked for everything that I got. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go, and ultimately, where do you want to go? Uh, ultimately, I want to be a head coach. Um, that's what I'm working towards, and hopefully I get my chance to, to lead at some point. Mm. Do you think you're ready at this point, or you think you still need a little bit more time? No, nah, I think I'm definitely ready. Uh, it's just all about the, the opportunity and chance whenever I get it. Mm. Um, what is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball player? And what is this most stickiest situation that you've ever been as a coach so far? Uh, I don't think I've had too many sticky situations as a player or as a coach, and hopefully I don't. <laughs> <laughs> How about your best moment um, as a basketball player and, and your best moment thus far as a coach? Best moment as a basketball player? I would say winning the Murkies championship over winning an NBA championship. Really? Just because it was such a grind and you just, like, it was just year by year we got better and then all you could finally say that all the hard work really paid off. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know that saying, hard work pays off, but sometimes it, don't, it doesn't happen. You're right. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but when we won the, the American East Championship, I could finally say, I was able to say the hard work paid off. It really did. And then as a coach, um, I would probably say winning 
winning the regular season title this year. Well, this past year. Uh, no one really picked us to, to win the, the championship. No one knew how good we were, were going to be. And we ended up having like a 16-game winning streak and ended up having an unbelievable year. When Justin started hitting busted buzzer beaters and, and dropping forty, did it remind you of your senior year in the PFC? Yeah, man, I was just—it was taking me back to to where I played, and I made every big play that the team needed to to be made. Mm. I find that interesting. Thing. I find that interesting that you uh, you you picked the America East Championship over the uh, the yeah, NBA it Championship. Meant, it, it just meant more to me, man. We worked so hard and we grinded year after year to be able to get to that point. Man. Mm. My final question to you, what has basketball meant for your life? What does it mean to you? Basketball is my life. Uh, I never knew that it, it would be my life growing up. I just, it started out as a hobby mm. and something I like doing with my friends. And then now it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final words that you want to say before we part ways? Uh, thank you for having me. This was great, man. And, Good luck with the podcast. I appreciate it, man. And, you know, to me, this is a thank thank you to you and your contributions in the game of basketball. Um, I don't think that you have been able to talk about the totality of your experience playing, you know, just even yeah, from yeah. Christ to no, King to college. Fun. This was fun. So to be I, able to recap my, my, my career. Yeah. This was dope. So we should stop reading your Wikipedia page. Just <laughs> <podcast. Yep. laughs> my man. Right. For Thanks, Speedy Claxon, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We're signing out. Peace.